KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego Osher Lifelong Learning Institute, hosting an open house to learn about the upcoming classes and seminars, member benefits, and meet the volunteer leadership team. Saturday, March 30th. Registration at extendedstudies.ucsd.edu slash O-L-L-I. And then what happened was I kept thinking about my great aunt because she was my best friend. And she was born in 1880 and she lived to be 100. So I thought that then that's what inspired the multi-generational conversation because we don't talk to our elders enough and vice versa, you see. And so I thought, okay, Aunt Kate's words of wisdom were when she, when I was desegregating schools in Missouri, right after Brown versus Board of Education, she said to me, child, you got to be your own self-validation because she knew we weren't going to be recognized for our brilliance and our genius in the way the other children would be recognized. And so that's um, one of my models. You got to be your own self-validation. You're listening to the Parker Edison Project. Edison Project. Good morning, and welcome to season two of the Parker Edison Project. This time around, we're showing you culture as a lifestyle. This is how the tenants come into play in your day-to-day life. It's Cultural Unity Week at Mesa College, and I'm today's lead speaker. Super geeked about it. I like to bring you into my world as much as possible. So the second half of my lecture, I'll be interviewing two guests live in front of a Zoom audience, and we'll broadcast it for you. You'll get to hear from Dr. Ashanti Hands and Miss Starla Lewis on the topic of education. I think our event moderator, Veronica Jirachi, is getting things started right now. So let's go to it. Good morning, everyone. We're really excited to have you all. Welcome to San Diego Mesa College. And this is a communication studies event. So we're really fortunate today to have our special guest, KPBS, host of the Parker Edison Project podcast, Parker Edison. So if you could give him a big, big round of applause. Thank you, everyone. Yes. Yeah. We're just really, I'm just thrilled to have a Parker here as a former Mesa student and Parker hosts a just wonderful podcast and I first learned of the podcast by listening to KPBS. I first heard the commercial and just became so um, interested in and I want to learn more and podcast after podcast I learned something new and I am just um, I'm hooked on the podcast and so again I just thank you so much Parker for joining us. I will turn things over to you. Thank you. Thank you. And I got to say good morning to my father who's in Texas. Hey, Pop. Thank you so much, Veronica Jirachi, for uh, your invitation. It's an honor to be speaking this morning and to be all together here and and part of each other's day. I want to give a quick shout out to my cats from the Platform Collection. Big shout out, Kill C. Ray, OG Hip Hop, Eddie, Gene Flo, Seven Octobers, Melly, and to quote poet laureate Mark Twain, we started from the bottom, now we're here. I do interviews for my podcast, and I've never done one in front of an audience, but I'd like to right now. This will be my first time uh, meeting my first guest. She's VP of Student Services. She's done a ton to make it possible for students to be successful. Her contributions are including but not limited to uh, student scholarships, COVID funding during the pandemic. And actually, I'm just going to jump right into it because you can learn a little bit more 
right from her. Uh, can I introduce you, Dr. Ashanti Hans? Thank you so much and so excited to be one of the first to be interviewed live on your show. Uh, the space you just created was amazing. So I'm ready to jump in. Awesome. Where are you right now, Dr. Hans? I am coming to you live from my office. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Right off the bat, one of the questions I had was education a big thing in your house growing up? So very interesting. Uh, my father unfortunately passed when I was six years old, but at five, I was able to attend his graduation ceremony. So he was a musician. He graduated from Cal State University, Dominguez Hills. So I just remember being a child. Um, he played at his graduation ceremony, kind of running around campus and just knowing that it was a big deal, that we were there to celebrate him. My mother attended some college, but did not finish. So college was not necessarily spoken about as something that you had to do, but it was clear that it was a possibility and a path and something that I could do if I wanted to. And so what I think my mother supported most in us, and I have two, two older sisters, is she really supported our passion and our purpose and then made it very clear that if you are walking in that, then the path will be clear in terms of how you get there. And so college was definitely supported, but I don't think I ever recalled hearing this is something you must do. It was something that you can do. And that was very important to me. And you mentioned fourth grade. Fourth grade was an important year for me um, in that I was bust as a fourth grader. We were taken out of our predominantly Black middle school and our entire fourth grade class was sent into a predominantly you know, white upper class area for the year. We didn't really understand what was going on but I recall one day they had us in a room and they were asking us about our experience. And then at the end of it, I said, well, tell us about the students that attended my school. Like, what did they learn? What do they, what do they love? And they told me like, we didn't send anybody to your school. And as a fourth grader, that did not sit well with me because I thought, well, what is it about this place that you thought you needed to pluck me out of my environment and see, but that you didn't think what we were experienced was worthy of seeing. So that sat with me. I didn't quite know how and what to articulate that. But then in the sixth grade, there was an opportunity to go. We didn't have to into that same neighborhood into a different school. And so I don't know how I convinced my mom this time I want to go, not because they're making me go, but because I can go. And I want to see, in essence, how I can fit in that space, how I can impact that space, not because people have to kind of experience me, but because I've chose I chose to be very interesting experience. All I'll say is that I came up with this plan, like gotta get in leadership, even though I don't know what sixth grade leadership actually does, but I figured that's a way to do it. So my friends, I convinced my best friends to join us there. And then we signed up and, and got on campus leadership. And I'll just say the way that story ended is that I gave the sixth grade graduation speech um, that year, the first uh, black student who gave that speech. And fast forward, ended up going to Inglewood High School. That was not necessarily the high school of choice. I was gonna go where my sisters went, Westchester High School, school by the beach. And I don't know what you know about Inglewood up in California, it was very interesting. What seemed like a setback was really the foundation for my purpose, my work, and wanting to work in education. It was um, my understanding of equity and social justice before I even knew those words existed. So education, the experiences that I had were probably more prevalent in what my mother paid attention to and let me grow and evolve in those spaces. Oh gosh. And it goes full circle because you are the admin now. What is what is your, your proper title there at the college? I am a vice president for student services. What's a day in your office like? 
day in the office as an administrator is a lot of meetings, right? So I was looking at my calendar. I'm like, probably about 75% of my calendar for the week is meetings. Like my purpose, my reason for being is to create the conditions that matter for our students to succeed. That happens by sitting at tables. That happens by having conversations. That happens by impacting policies and procedures. That happens by interacting with people, hearing their voices, hearing their stories, so that when I'm at the table for them, I understand what those conditions are. Having that voice at the table that has roots in all that I just shared about my educational and academic experience, that that matters. I can so appreciate that. I imagine that your, your position requires you to be at the pulse of student needs. Honestly, is an intentional choice. I hear a lot of people say, well, I don't want to move up in the system because the higher up you go, the further away you are from students. It is not how I perceive the work that I do because I don't think I can be effective if I'm not interacting with students, if I can't keep my finger on the pulse. I work very closely with our associated student government. So I come into retreats, I'll sit down, I'll share my stories. I do that with all of our student leaders um, in our building. So if you're an orientation, um, an ambassador, if you're a peer navigator, we're gonna sit down and I'm gonna share my story with you. And then I'm gonna ask you questions. We're gonna interact, we're gonna connect. But I do want you to know that it is intentional because your days can get taken up by doing so many other things. But for me, if I don't know what it is the students need, I can't create those conditions. So I have to seek it out and I do it in a lot of ways. You're, you're really, your boots on the ground. I was looking through your resume and some of the things that you've done in your, your six years as VP. One of the things that really jumped out to me and I wanted to ask you, How did you come to the idea of food banks? So in 2016, uh, we started to hear a lot from the Hope Center, which does a lot of uh, reports, surveys, data, et cetera, about basic needs at the community college in various levels. And we started to learn a lot more that, you know, uh, one in five of our students are experiencing homelessness, so housing insecurity, that, you know, over 50% of our students are experiencing food insecurity, aren't sure where their next meal is going to come from. The conditions that we needed to create were going to need to shift and be different. And so our president, um, myself, we had a dean of student success and equity and and our associated student government at the time, they were collecting food and storing it uh, in the associated student government office for students to come in. We were learning that there were a lot of staff that were and faculty that were keeping kind of food in their office. And and so the notion of doing, uh, we call them uh, mobile or farmer's markets. And so where you can come get free, healthy food and a big, a smile and love and support, you know, when you come into these spaces. And so in our heads, we couldn't quite imagine what does this actually look like? Like, how would we do it? Right. And we heard this thing about from the San Diego Food Bank. They said that San Diego doesn't have a a food problem. We have a food distribution problem because we have more than enough food to feed our communities. It just clicked. We knew exactly how we could masonize it, which is what we do at Mesa. We take great ideas and then we turn it into something that works for our campus culture. And it was amazing. Um, And students responded. People, our faculty, our community, staff appreciated being a part of that opportunity to serve. We know that a hungry student shows up different in a classroom setting and environment than a student who is fed. And so we need to make sure that everybody has the opportunity to sit in those spaces and learn at a place where their mind, body, and souls have been fed and they are prepared. What advice 
would you give new students that are just coming in? The first thing that I want to do and that I do encourage our students to understand is that I see them, that I believe that they are born with a purpose that only they can deliver and bring into this world, um, and that we are creating space for them to find and follow their purpose. And so my advice to them is to show up worthy, show up knowing that you are deserving of this space that is created. And that not only are you going to come into this space and be blessed by all that we have to offer, that we expect for you to come into this space and impact what we are doing so that we can become better. Bring all of you, all of who you are, those tests that we have had in life become our testimony. And so I need you to show up fully. I need you to let us see who you are so that we can create the conditions that matter. And that is the advice that I would give them. Show up and walk in your worthiness. We need you to talk that talk, Dr. Hans. You, you out here dropping. That's, <laughs> that's insane amount of jewels and gems right there. How can people support the things that you're doing, Dr. Hans? I think there is room for everyone to support what we're doing, right? So there are programs and services that we have, and we encourage people to refer people to our areas so that we can support our students. And also knowing that there are spaces for people to show up and to receive those services, to help volunteer, to make sure that they're out. Like, it's all of it. If, if you're a student and you get a, a survey, like, fill it out, because we really are sitting around the table looking at this information and trying to understand what we want to hear from those students who are most often disproportionately impacted by the way that we serve them, not because of who we who they are, but because of who we are, because I want you to hold me accountable to who we say we are. And so if you're going into a, a space and it is not, it does not feel like equity and it does not feel like excellence, I need to hear that. I appreciate you giving us your time this morning. Thank you so much, Dr. Hands. Thank you. I've thoroughly enjoyed this space. Oof. That's that good good right there. We'll be right back with the rest of episode six after a short word from some local businesses. You stick around. Stay tuned for more, tuned of, the for more of the PEP. The Parker Edison podcast is proudly sponsored by Black women-owned Luna Glows, offering their signature facial to renew your spirit and pamp your skin with all organic skincare. Book your self-care session today at lunaglows.com. Hey folks, my name is Bob Surratt. I'm a librarian and host of Listener's Advisory, the San Diego Public Library podcast. Listener's Advisory is the audio access point that connects users with SDPL services, facilities, and staff. Tune in twice monthly for a mixture of narrative-driven segments, in-depth interviews, and roundtable discussions about everything from professional recommendations to community-centric matters. Find us wherever you get your podcasts or at mysdpl.org forward slash listeners advisory. KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego Osher Lifelong Learning Institute, hosting an open house to learn about the upcoming classes and seminars, member benefits, and meet the volunteer leadership team. Saturday, March 30th. Registration at extendedstudies.ucsd.edu slash O-L-L-I. And now back to the PEP. PEP. Welcome back. This is episode six of the Parker Edison Project podcast. 
Our theme is education. We're broadcasting live segments from Cultural Unity Week on Mesa College campus. We're getting ready to hear our second interview of the day. Then we'll close out the show with a music selection from a local artist. I really think you're going to like what you're about to hear. Check it out. Put your hands together. Give her all your best energy uh, for the marvelous Miss Starla Lewis. It's a, a privilege to be here talking to students, former students, faculty, and community, because that's what I'm about. It's a blessing to have you here. Good morning. You have such an illustrious career. How did you get your start in education? Uh, my mother gave me two choices when I graduated from high school. She said, you can go to college or you can go to work. Your choice. I picked college. And I say it like that because I feel very humbled by being educated by so many non-educated people. And by that, I mean formally educated people. But I was surrounded by wisdom all my life. And my best friend <clears throat> was born in 1880. So she had knowledge plus experience. And my mother birthed me one day after her 18th birthday. So I never had the belief that age determined knowledge. I never had the belief that degrees determined knowledge. I believed that education was everywhere. I literally talked to people, walked with people, read books, watched television. And I never just watched it for the entertainment factor. I watched it for more knowledge and information. When I started teaching, I actually believed in edutainment. I wanted my classroom to be alive. I wanted it to be fun. I wanted students to absorb the information in a way where it wasn't just to pass the test, but it was to pass the tests of life and living I realized when I uh, decided I was going to teach Black studies that Black studies had the same status as Black people, which was very little status at all. And that in order to teach it, you had to love it and you had to love your students. My first job was teaching Black studies in a place where there were hardly no Black people. In fact, I walked into a full classroom and there was not one Black student in the class. What I learned from that is that Black studies wasn't just for Black people. And so my journey has been very rich because my classrooms have been predominantly Black. And then they've also been predominantly others. And it didn't matter because I could teach the same way and the same subject matter to anyone. One of the things that I was getting in my DMs where people were talking about the space that you, I'll say, pioneered that there wasn't Black studies and there wasn't one that was resonating with the community the way that yours has. At this point, you've taught through three decades of students. Is there any difference in what you think students needed then versus what you see them needing now? Absolutely not. And the reason I say that is because when students come to me, They know very little about Black people, even when they're Black students. And so for me, my, my purpose is to help people learn who they are, help them see themselves, help them love themselves, and help them use love to address all the issues in their life. Tell me about the dynamics of the Black community course that you're doing. So the dynamics of the Black community is a course that is more of a field trip course. And what we actually do is we take the students out of the classroom into the community and they have the opportunity to 
visit different organizations. They have the opportunity to listen to different leaders. One of the missions of Mesa College is uh, service learning. What are you going to do with all this information you're gathering? The dynamics of the Black community is a service learning opportunity to show students how you can participate in what you want to do before you graduate. You can go and actually volunteer and turn that into a job or occupation. You can meet people who are you. They, they were you. They were the community members who some came from all of the different backgrounds, you know, and they meet the successful people who've been to prison. They meet the successful ex-gangbangers. They meet the successful upper middle class. They meet all these people. And at the end of the day, they understand they're all the same people. Mm-hmm. And so we don't have to put anybody on a pedestal higher than ourselves. You see, we just have to be able to see ourselves in them. As someone who's achieved so much, how do you measure success? I believe that we are all teachers and I believe that we are all students and we we can humble ourselves to know that we don't know everything and we're open to learning. We become independent learners, independent researchers, analytical thinkers. You got to connect your head and your heart so that your decisions are, are good decisions, but they're rooted in the love of what you're doing, the love of the who you're doing it for, and the love of yourself for being able to fulfill. You know, I think that maybe that's the answer to success when you're living a life that is fulfilling because you're doing what you love. Let me let me close right there on that because that's the gym I hope people, among all the gems and jewels that you've just given us, that's the one that I, I, I hope leads them back to dig deeper into everything that you just said. Miss Lewis, thank you so much. Thank you so, so much, not just for doing this interview, not just for giving us your time today, but giving us your time for the last few decades. Thank you so much. With that, everyone, I want to thank um, Parker for being here. It's just been really an honor to have you with us. You're so insightful and just a, a wonder, wonderful, um, wonderfully insightful speaker and facilitator and i just really am looking forward to listening to more of your podcast i can't wait for the upcoming episodes so thank you so much for for joining us we're really privileged to have had you as a student at mesa and we hope you'll join us for future events and um uh, future opportunities at mesa so thank you great stuff thank you veronica jirachi and mesa college it was an absolute honor to be a part of today's events We're going to close this episode with some new music by a local duo. They call themselves Good Question, comprised of rapper Skinny Vinny and beatmaker EDU. This track is called Fricassee. And seriously, I've been waiting all week for you to hear this. This is that new and exclusive. Be here in two weeks. We got a brand new episode coming up. See you then. Y'all stay safe out there.
Frighten the Afro descendants. Follow that money, show interest in their interest. They divulging, death, look how they invest. When our system's down, who pay for sins is broke. It's cheap and farmer got my mama off them opiates. Whole life out to chase a high. Oh, getting by. Me and mine, we want the steak and fries. Be business in my inbox. And I'm just out the mud. See the dirt in them socks. Addiction, more conviction, addiction. This is awkward rendition. A bottle of barrel fishing and reeling up. Neptune grouper, morning kombucha, then I. Reflect to our future, when scarce find knowledge and losing, you can do it too, we can lose a habit that is made up full of you, escaping from feels way cooler than going to, never had a trophy on my shelf of things, but kept a bag of treat, no book or that loosely, nah, I won't let them lose me. Thanks for stopping in. The Parker Edison Project is produced and hosted by yours truly, Parker Edison, and the good people at Platform Collection. Be sure to subscribe and catch the next episode on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have any comments or questions, visit theparkeredisonproject.com or hit us on Instagram at the PE Project. My guy, Kurt Conan, is audio production manager. Lisa J. Morissette is operations manager. And John Decker is associate general manager for content. This programming is made possible in part by the KPBS Explore Content Fund. I love saying that because it reminds me of Sesame Street. Y'all stay safe out there. KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego Osher Lifelong Learning Institute, hosting an open house to learn about the upcoming classes and seminars, member benefits, and meet the volunteer leadership team. Saturday, March 30th. Registration at extendedstudies.ucsd.edu slash O-L-L-I.